even before covid tb is the number one infectious killer of humanity thousand deaths per day in india alone because of tuberculosis without covid patients are not getting diagnosed at all diagnosis has come to a complete halt most of the private doctors they are not practicing right Hello and welcome. I'm Yamini Iyer and you're listening to Thought Space from the Center for Policy Research. This is the second part of our seventh episode where we discuss the impact of the coronavirus pandemic on tuberculosis care in India. In part 1, our guests laid down the groundwork to help us understand just how prevalent tb is in india and the impact the lockdown has had on access and continuity of tb care in this episode we dive into what the government needs to do immediately during the lockdown and once it is lifted to help patients who are already on treatment and ensure that new patients continue to get diagnosed and treated once again i'd like to welcome our guests Madhukar Pai, Professor and Director of McGill Global Health Programs and International TB Center, who is at the forefront of a lot of TB research in India. Nandita Venkatesan, a journalist, TB survivor, and TB disability advocate. Dr. Sarthak Rastogi, consultant pulmonologist at the Holy Family Hospital in Mumbai, and my co-host for the episode, Dr. Jishnu Das. visiting fellow at the center for policy research and professor at georgetown university so mathu let me begin with you once again we heard from sarthak in the previous episode that even the private healthcare system is not prioritizing tb at this point you mentioned in your opening remarks that the public system and society at large have tended to ignore tb potentially because this is a disease that tends to mostly impact the poor but why is the private sector responding in this way Exactly a month ago I wrote an op-ed in Forbes saying that there will be immense damage by covid on tb services but at that time I only had some anecdotal information from China which was well in the epidemic South Korea and they had already confirmed that in China and South Korea there were incredible disruption of routine tb services and then I had kind of hypothesized what damage might happen but what nandita and sarthak have told us uh, confirms every one of my worst fears uh, it's worse than even what i had written in that piece so i just want to first summarize what i am hearing and seeing from around the world on how covid is going to destroy tb services first of all the indian government has pledged to end tb by 2025 you know that was an impossibility even without covid and now we can just completely stop talking about that because tb elimination even by 2030 is not going to happen given the devastating impact of covid on tb services all over the world we are in now for a much harder fight to end tb and this is going to push back uh, our tb elimination timelines we need to rethink our strategy as not just for india but also globally and i'm also worried about the devastation of tb funding as a result of diversion of resources to fighting covid both within countries as well as donors such as global fund and other international uh, aid agencies like usaid 
we already saw U.S. governments cut to WHO funding, uh, and there will be a serious austerity that will kick in, and high-income countries, I predict, will defund international aid, and within that envelope, TB funding, I worry, will suffer. Now, at the ground level, I think Nandita and, and Sartak absolutely nailed it for us. Right now, new TB diagnosis and notifications are plummeting downwards. People with classic TB symptoms are sitting at home because they can't go out or they're confusing their cough to have COVID rather than TB. They can't tell the difference between the two. And even if they went to seek care, there is no local GP available to see them. And they're scared of going to the public hospitals for the fear of contracting COVID or for the fear of getting labeled to have COVID. For whatever reason, new diagnosis of TB is plummeting downwards. Already there was some report of an 80% drop. These are early data, but an 80% drop in notification wouldn't shock me at all. And diagnostic laboratories are all being repurposed for COVID testing. So even I think even basic sputum smear microscopy is not happening. And Gene Expert, which we have used for TB a lot, is at the risk of being taken over for running COVID cartridges. Uh, it is still in the making, but there is a cartridge on the same machine for SARS-CoV-2 as well as MTB. And some of us are anxious that the Gene Expert machine capacity will get redirected towards COVID and basic drug resistance testing using Gene Expert will drop. That is something we'll have to wait and watch. Now, the net result of all this is, I suspect there will be greater transmission within households because everybody is cooped up together with somebody who is coughing, with MDR, whatever, intra-household transmission will go up exactly along the lines of what Sartak said. Lots of people are stuck in close quarters. And then whenever ever this lockdown lifts, I suspect we see a huge surge in new patients seeking care because they've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And I suspect all this waiting will push them towards more severe forms of tuberculosis. It's fine if you seek early, but even without COVID, TB in India is diagnosed after a delay of two months. Tons of data, including the work that Jishnu and I have done using simulated patients, even before COVID, a classic suspected TB rarely gets diagnosed the first time. And Sartak just said it. They bounce between one provider to another provider to another provider before TB is diagnosed. And we've done the math to show that it can take up to two months. Now we're looking at maybe a three, four, five months diagnostic delay. If you add the lockdown period, and even after the lockdown lifts, people are all going to go rushing out to seek care and they're not going to get seen immediately. There will be a massive backlog and it might take weeks for the service to normalize. So we are now looking at very long diagnostic delay, increase in community transmission, because when the lockdown lifts, people are going to mix. And at that time, they're all going to have undiagnosed, presumably severe forms of smear positive TB. So it's not just intra-household. At that time, community transmission will also go up because everybody will be waiting to get diagnosed and who knows how long that is going to take. And then the treatment interruption is absolutely on the mark, what Nandita and Sartak just said. So let's say I was lucky enough to get, say, two months of medicines before the lockdown started. 
In fact, when we started locking down in Canada, I went and resupplied my prescription medicines because I was told everybody said stock up on your prescription medicines. Now, if you only got one month of anti-TB medicines and then the lockdown is now approaching one month, what happens to your refill of the medicines? And if you cannot see care, the clinic is shut, there is no way to get medicines. I predict a big slump in TB treatment adherence because of treatment interruptions. Now, every time you interrupt treatment, as a doctor like Sartak will tell you, you increase the risk of a bad outcome, such as recurrence or even mortality. And every time you start and stop and start and stop, which is what might happen, you increase the risk of drug resistance. So a drug sensitive TB could easily get pushed into becoming a drug resistant TB because of interruptions in, uh, in treatment. And then we also uh, heard from Sartak of all the TB patients that one is most worried about in this crisis, I think DRTB is the most vulnerable group. As it is, even without COVID, they only had a one in five chance of surviving this entire long cascade of care. They were very fragile to begin with. They have comorbidities, malnutrition. They might need injections. They have toxic side effects that normally need to get managed. Many of them may even require hospitalization, which is no longer available to them because hospitals are closed or taken over by COVID. That is the group where I fear an increase in TB mortality will be very easily visible in the coming months. Overall mortality for TB, I expect, will increase this year alone in India. And I hope somebody will be measuring this because that is an important, important impact that we should be looking for. I wish we would do something to prevent it, but I have a bad feeling an increase in overall TB mortality in India, even in this calendar year, is a very real option. And then I just want to end with one more impact that we haven't spoken about at all. Now, we know India is the world's pharmacy, right? Anti-TB medicines are, are mostly manufactured in India, not just the standard INH, rifampicin, even bedaculin is manufactured in India, okay? Now, if the Indian production doesn't resume, and if India is so heavily reliant on China for raw materials, APIs, as we call them for anti-TB medicines, not only will India have a stock out of anti-TB medicines, first line and second line, the whole world will be shot on anti-TB medicines because India is the world's engine for anti-TB medicines. So I am already asking how many months of ATT does India have in stock? What is the supply chain? Are the lupins and the ciplas and the ranbaxis and all of these generics are they manufacturing TB medicines or they have they been taken over to manufacture something else? When will they resume production? How many months of stock we will we have for India and for the rest of the world? Because everybody is now running to manufacture chloroquine, right? It's just complete madness and there is no rational thinking on what is important and what is not. So I'm worried about drug supply chain for TB domestically as well as internationally. And then of all the fragile drug supplies for TB, second line drugs was already worse to begin with. Nobody cares for second line drugs because they are a much smaller group. The market is seen as a weak one and no industry really cared about second line medicines. Now with this crisis, 
they could easily focus on first line medicines as an important priority, but not second line medicines. And then who will pay the price? It's people with DRTB, right? And then childhood TB, forget it. I mean, even in the best of days, children with TB rarely got any attention within India and globally. And now you're going to have a whole bunch of children who've been stuck with their adults inside the house with undiagnosed TB. And then you're going to see a big jump in the number of children who are going to be falling sick with TB because children are stuck at home. They have not gone to school and they have adults with cough who are undiagnosed. I don't even know what the consequences of this is because even in the best of days, childhood TB is not easy to get diagnosed or treat. So these are the kinds of big anxieties that I have. And I think it will be good for all of us as a group to brainstorm on potential solutions of what can India do right now to mitigate this damage and what do we need to be thinking about as a global TB community and, and push the advocacy so that TB doesn't completely fall off the radar in this crisis or even after the crisis. Thanks, Madhu. In fact, you uh, preempted uh, exactly where we wanted to go with the last segment of this conversation. But before we go there, I just wanted to get you to reflect a little bit on why is it that the medical community and the policymaking community in its very quick to the take, at least in India, reaction to responding to COVID-19 didn't adequately consider the question of what impact this will have on non-COVID diseases and particularly on TB given uh, its high prevalence in India. And also to the question I posed to you a little while ago. So I get when public systems don't behave in a certain way because their incentive structures are different. But why is the private sector turning away patients when they're coming to the OPD? After all, you know, patient means inevitably uh, that some revenue will be generated and so on and so forth. So what's going on here? Is it stigma or is it something else? I just want to want for us to understand this a little better. I mean, let's be honest, it's not just TB, right? Every aspect of the Indian health system, even immunization is not happening. Can you imagine if we had an outbreak of diphtheria or measles or resurgence of polio in India in the coming years? I mean, it's just staggering, right? And the fact that the lockdown was announced with not even time to prepare, not even time to buy groceries and stock up, not even time for the migrants to go back home, the kind of stuff that... Jishnu has been writing about just tells you that this wasn't really thoughtfully planned. It was just done. And now everybody is now dealing with the aftermath of this and the extension of a lockdown is a whole another story. And I'd love to see a plan for resuming critical health services. And when will they come back online? Which ones will come back online first? What about moms who need to be delivered right now? I mean, there are even bigger concerns in my opinion, right? I understand the importance of TB, but I can see spectacular, uh, you know, such concerns popping up everywhere. So India as a whole needs a plan for continuation of essential critical health services despite the lockdown or an extended lockdown. And TB should be listed as one among them. And I did see an Indian government document which explicitly talks about continuation of essential services. TB is mentioned, but I simply don't think enough thought and planning has went gone into it. And I hope now is the right time to do it. Coming to private sector, we saw doctors getting harassed. We saw people's hands getting stamped that they have COVID or whatever. You see the anxiety, the, 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 the 
trying to you know um, brand people or brand communities there's all sorts of hysteria going on so if i were a private provider what would i do i i think it might be safer for me to be at home and look after my family so we're all kind of contracting into our you know small units and trying to just stock up and and write this out so i don't think you know we can really blame an individual private practitioner that they we need to protect them we need to protect healthcare workers as our biggest resource and not punish them throw them out of their homes all sorts of nonsensical stuff is happening and i think the government simply failed to ensure personal protection equipment for example why would you expect uh, doctors and nurses to risk their lives and when when the system doesn't take care of them i mean it's not enough to just clap for them and applaud them but you got to do what is necessary pay them give them their personal protection equipment necessary make sure they're not stigmatized no make sure police doesn't beat them up when they go outside the house that's the kind of thinking that i fear is missing and i'd like to learn more from someone like sarthak on what sorts of uh, you know issues frontline uh, healthcare workers are facing in this crisis great madhu thank you uh, and you know this is a good time to turn to solutions part of what we should be doing is brainstorming about what the solutions moving forward are but you know from the conversation i would like us to think of solutions in three parts one is what should be done during the lockdown then there's a second question about when things return to normal whenever that is there's going to be this huge surge in patients how do we prepare for that and then there's a third question which is perhaps the whole you know you and i have been working in mumbai dr rastogi nandita you're there we know now that about 30% of patients in mumbai are multi drug resistant tb this might change the entire composition of tuberculosis so as you said it might be a very long battle on top of that there is this entire issue of austerity and a lack of funding perhaps staring us in the face that is a very grim outlook uh, but you know part of what we are hoping to hear from you is how should that be managed so let me turn to nandita first and ask her what should we be doing at this stage to help patients who are already on treatment i feel that government needs to collaborate more with non governmental organizations ngos are doing a very good job right now many people many of the ngos like innovators in health world health partners uh, even ngos here in mumbai they are the ones who are helping patients get, get their medicines they are they have been issued curfew passes or they are the, or even the smaller clinics in rajasthan for example non profit clinics etc i feel that we need a more active engagement with ngos because even when i spoke to world health partners they told me that they are doing everything they can to go and deliver the medicines in fact they have taken their own private car and their own private vehicles on their own to see to it that patients are delivered medicines on time 
to be very honest india is going through a phase right now where we have extreme skepticism about ngos this needs to really go away there is a skepticism about them being uh, uh, you know having wrong funding foreign funding etc etc we see all kinds of rumors floating around all of that is coming back to bite us right now i suppose speaking to a person from innovators in health that works in vr they are doing some kind of fundraising so that they can provide them monthly rations and also the 500 rupees that is not reaching them uh, they are doing a fundraising right now for that i am seeing fantastic work being done by some of the ngos i really think that we need to have a very active plan because right now they are the ones who are working a lot of citizens are stepping up despite funding constraints they are working i i hope we get some kind of a, a road map or a guideline as to how they can even engage people like survivors uh, ngos we are there we are cured we are very much here i am doing as much as i can sitting uh, though because i have restrictions on travel because i am in a containment zone right now so i cannot travel much there's uh, there's police protection here many buildings have been sealed off so i cannot go out much but i am doing as much as i can sitting at home i am allaying fears of patients who are coming and literally crying to me saying that my i am not getting my injections i am trying to contact other people other contacts i know and i'm trying to put link them to people to cl- clinics i speak to dr sarthak i speak to him and I, i forward messages i get from patients to him and i tell him that you know patients are telling that their their clinics are shut what must we do and he gives me some kind of a feedback so uh, we need lot more community engagement and a lot more engagement with uh, non governmental organizations i believe they are doing a very very good job right now uh, especially in terms of uh, uh, you know in terms of delivering medicines or even in terms of helping patients allaying the fears and telling them that we'll be fine because situation is very bad i am not going to mince words i'm just going to say that situation for drug resistant tuberculosis is frightening right now a person may end up honestly having gone through that grueling treatment myself i know that a person may rather prefer to just end his life than go through this sheer uncertainty for 2 3 years of his life it's not a joke that to keep on thinking about what's going to happen to you what is going to who's going to give you the medicines you need some kind of a comfort uh, comforting word something is needed to keep yourself hopeful i can tell you myself because i came to the brink very honestly i came to the brink of finishing everything for me i'm i thought i will just end my life and that's it i had gone to the very last extent because that's that's how difficult it is and uh, we have to reach out to non state actors right now who who will help patients in whatever limited patients we can do it so that we can at least reduce the the devastating impact that can happen thank you uh, nandita for that very very moving personal 
account and uh, for us to really get a deeper understanding of what a challenge this is, uh, but also for the very important and practical solution of finding more innovative ways of engaging with the, with the non-governmental organizations and civil society as a whole. And uh, not just for TB, I think at this point, uh, India as a society uh, needs to come together in different ways to manage all the different aspects of the challenges that both the pandemic itself and our dealing with the pandemic are, are confronting, making us confront. Sarthak, if I could turn to you now uh, to ask you two questions. One, you know, just for the immediate short-term solutions, but more importantly, as Madhu uh, reminded us, there's likely to be a surge once the lockdown lifts. Um, what preparedness, what solutions do you have in mind? If we've made things worse now, it is incumbent on us to ensure that we don't make continue to make things worse as uh, the situation unfolds. Uh, see, one of the ways things uh, that we have not touched upon and, and that is giving me a lot of anxiety is a lot of migrant workers have shifted from urban areas to rural areas or have tried shifting and they're stuck somewhere. Many of them may be disrupting their tuberculosis treatment. Now we need to trace them as soon as possible. We have to have a plan for these people who are just left everything behind, put everything on a standstill and, and try to reach to safer grounds just to be in the comfort of their home. The big problem is the states have to act together here. Uh, usually uh, what's the plan is when a person wants to shift back, he has to take a transfer letter. He takes it from his current treatments uh, district uh, uh, TB office and goes and uh, submits it at the place where he wants to reside. Now, uh, the lockdown came as far as, uh, as as soon as uh, the lockdown was announced and we saw images of millions of people moving around, I'm sure they have not taken their drug treatment and, and we need to trace them as soon as possible. And that should be one of the priorities of non-COVID healthcare. Ki how many of them are missing? Where have they gone to? And, and the districts where they have gone to, they have to start tracing them and bring them back into the system as soon as possible. Second thing, I'll add one more thing here is you asked why the private system is keeping tuberculosis at a low priority. It's, it's again, it's a, uh, it's a question of who suffers from tuberculosis, whether they can give you enough revenue. A mid-level PPE that is required uh, equipment to prevent uh, corona infection can cost you somewhere between 800 to 1100 For a general practitioner, in, in, in Mumbai city, a family practitioner, he charges per patient around about 50 to 100 rupees. Do you think the economics for him to get a good PPE, open his clinic and see patients is not going to work out anyhow. So the government needs to do something is at, at the base level, we have to start the uh, healthcare uh, system right from the grassroots. So that is the nurses and the community health workers, they have to be provided with proper PPE. And, and even in private, they have to get at a subsidized rate or they have to be given it for free. That is the only way I think so that we can restart without impacting the healthcare as soon as possible. Apart from that, the injections, the for drug resistant tuberculosis, the main thing is 
right now the most of the patients who are grappling is to get injections now they are traveling like 4455 kilometers every day to get injections i am getting messages from patients that can they uh, stop the injections can it be made on alternate day basis we need to figure out a way that that these injections are not disrupted one of the ways is starting health posts which give uh, injections to the patients who are in the public system should right now make it a case and should start accepting the patients who are from private setup also and and vice versa people who are taking treatment in public setup should be given injection wherever and whenever possible so we have to work out on a on a equation where we can get through this because the patients for injection they have to travel 4 kilometers 5 kilometers every day some point or the other they are going to break down and they are going to stop the treatment altogether there's a big cultural thing in india that injections or whatever is injectable is more potent and and for them if injectable is not going in they might just give up the treatment altogether that is the big thing that we have to understand and why the injections are the backbone of the treatment not because they are one of the most effective uh, drugs available they think once the injection gets over they think they have just conquered the disease and and that's why we have one of the high faltering rates in in continuation phase after injections are are uh, completed so we have to work out on a formula where injections are given at an easier pace thank you thank you so much sarthak i think you've raised some very very important points uh, and especially the point about migrant workers we've been talking about the need for center and states uh, to work together to address the challenges of migrant workers from the point of view of food and income security but this issue has not been part of the policy discussion at all and i think it's it's so important and i'm so glad that you that you raised it uh, madhu can i turn to you for the last word I, I'm going to ask you to to sort of uh, very quickly summarize what I know uh, are, are probably issues that we should discuss in multiple podcasts. But just to uh, get ask you to give us sort of overarching picture to the uh, e- even how we should be the framework in which we should be thinking about solutions going forward, and particularly what we need to do to prevent the next surge, which is something that I think we should really worry about now. So I think um, as uh... many economists including folks like you have been uh, talking about i think the immediate need i think is to just prevent people from dying of hunger and starvation right so there's so many people right on the edge um not sure where their next meal is going to come from i think uh, addressing that catastrophe is probably the biggest priority and many of them are the same groups where tb is very uh, prevalent in terms of immediate help we can give to tb patients at a minimum i would think those that are already known to have tb in the nicsha database or on the government uh, registers it will be really good if at least one phone call can be made to them in as much as they have a phone number to just check on them what is happening to them have they received medicines are they out of medicines and is there any way we can connect them to a private pharmacy in the neighborhood to make sure that they get a refill of the medicines i'm um, i mean the the undiagnosed new patients 
will not be an easy group to deal with right now because if we simply can't even get uh, them to a clinic or get a sample from them. Um, but existing known TB patients, including DRTB patients, if we can even get the call center to call them and see what on earth is happening to them, do they have medicines or not? Are they out of medicines? Getting continuation of regular TB medicines is probably the single most important high priority item we can, we can do. And then if they do have a phone, then connecting them to someone like Nandita, somebody who's a counselor, who can keep their morale up in this crisis, a local community-based organization, an NGO, patient advocacy group, getting known patients linked with as many community-based groups as possible to just keep the support going until the health system comes back online is another critical intervention that, that I think we can make. Now, I'm not sure about courier services. If courier services are functioning, then maybe we can at least courier medicines to those who are run out of them. And for everyone else who is currently going to uh, started on TB treatment, can we at least give them three months of medicines? Because we don't know how much longer this disruption is going to happen. Can we give them a longer uh, duration of treatment to take home? And can we then connect them to some kind of a remote uh, consultation through WhatsApp, 99 dots, or some digital adherence technology to just keep basic continuity of care going? Now, the problem with this three months of medicines is what I had mentioned earlier. I don't know what the drug supply for the country is looking like. And if you gave massive amounts of medicines and you front-loaded them, and if the whole country is going to get stocked out in six months, now that's a disaster. So I would love to know what the stock situation is. If the stock situation is good for India and globally, then giving more medicines to the patients and then linking them to an online um, WhatsApp type of follow-up with a peer counselor is probably the bare minimum we could all be uh, doing. And I know doctors are helping patients on WhatsApp and all sorts of digital technologies right now. The whole world is uh, you know, doing that. So finding a way to switch consultations to teleconsultations in the immediate term is probably the best uh, you know, we can do at this point. And then securing and protecting India's anti-TB drug supply must absolutely be paramount. I mean, if we lose our drug supply, not only are Indian TB patients jeopardized, the whole world is jeopardized. So I would be talking right now to all the major generic companies, making sure they have uh, adequate supply or find a way to resume that as an essential critical service. And then I would love to work with community-based organization, and I'm pushing others to do it too, even give them money to do some kind of an active service disruption tracking crowdsource intelligence on which TB clinic is shut, which DOTS clinic is functioning, which one is out of medicines, which private practitioners are open, who are not, pharmacies are open, not open, some kind of a visual dashboard of disruptions for TB services that everybody can track. Because if we knew there was a disruption hope happening, then at least there is some hope of addressing it. Then we could call the Mumbai TB officer and say, okay, in Ward 16, your TB clinic has been shut for the last two weeks. What is going on, right? But right now, we don't have visibility beyond this anecdotal stuff 
that we are hearing from Nanditas and Sarthaks and what is appearing in the news media. There is no organized way of tracking service disruptions around TV. And if we can empower community-based groups to take this on as a full-time job almost for the next several months, and then maybe people like Jishnu and I could also think about sending standardized patients once the lockdown lifts to as a way to check what is open, not open, what is working, not working, some way of collecting all that information. The Nikshai will tell us the notifications are dropping, but it will not tell us where exactly the disruptions are happening and what type of disruptions are happening so that we can talk to the DTO, talk to the city TB officer and actually act upon this almost on a real time basis. Now, clearly, this is not just TB. This is disruption of all sorts. But I would love to at least see some disruption tracking and mechanism for acting on it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Madhu. Thank you so much, Nandita, Sarthak, for this very, very important conversation. I think we must recognize uh, as a country and I think as a global community that COVID-19 not only places significant challenges on how countries are dealing with the disease itself and what impacts this is having on our social lives and in our, and our economic lives, but also put the spotlight back onto the impact that it's having on other uh, health-related issues and on other uh, disease management for other diseases, uh, many of which tend to be in some ways far more killer uh, than COVID is proving to be, at least in India, thus far. Thanks a lot and thank you, Jishnu, uh, for joining me as a co-host on this special edition of CPR Thought Space. Thank you for joining us. This was part two of our episode on COVID-19 and tuberculosis. If you haven't already, be sure to listen to part one. Stay tuned for future episodes. To learn more about all our COVID-19 related analysis, follow us on Twitter at CPR underscore India or visit our COVID-19 website at www.cprindia.org slash COVID-19. Dash 19.